When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU Recruitniks, presented by Sooners360.com. Each and every week, we catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting, including offers, evaluations, schedules, opinions, and more. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. What's up, everyone? It's Matt with Sooners 360 here for this week's episode of the 360 Recruiting Podcast. This is episode number 35. We are calling this one More Verbals, an O-line angst overdrive. I'm joined, as usual, by Chris Mason, lead recruiting analyst over at Sooners 360, and Caleb Cummings, a.k.a. Mr. Sooner 55, our film guru. Before we get into the show, just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform of choice. We are on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. And YouTube is coming very soon. All right, Chris, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into the news of the week. We had uh, two commitments this week. Yeah, the, the first commitment was, uh, I think everyone sort of expected this to happen, was Xavier Robinson. The uh, large running back from uh, Midwest City, Carl Albert. Uh, he's 6'2, 6'3, 230, 235 kind of range. Uh, had an awesome uh, junior year, rushing for um, over 2,500 yards and averaging over nine yards a carry and had nearly 40 touchdowns. So he just had, even for, you know, even for, you know, high school stats. It, it was it was really impressive. Uh, he was probably down to OU, Iowa State, and Notre Dame was kind of in the picture for a while, and then Notre Dame kind of backed off a little bit. I think they got another running back, and and I, I think they went kind of in a different direction. But Iowa State was certainly in the picture, and certainly was someone who was certainly a school that was driving to to get Rob to get Robinson's uh, verbal. They were telling him they're going to make him the next uh, Brees Hall, which is pretty compelling argument. They, Iowa State uses a big power back in their offense. They, uh, they've they had a, a, a back like that, you know, for the last sort of like 10 years, basically. So he's a nice addition. He's definitely brings something different to the um, OU running back room. We're obviously going to let Caleb do a little bit of a deeper dive into him coming up in our, in our next segment. But, um, you know, it's a very 
It's an interesting addition. It's a he's he's a big power back, um, has some H back potential. Um, I think some comps of somewhere in the uh, Dimitri Flowers, Ramondre Stevenson kind of realm kind of fit maybe, but overall, um, you know, he's 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 a three star right now. I think it's very possible he has a very good senior year, especially with Carl Albert being, you know, probably the most talented team in the state. And that was before they added um, Kevin Sperry at quarterback. So it's going to be really hard for teams to just load the box against Robinson. So I think he'll have a, I think he's going to have a big senior year and wouldn't shock me if he didn't fall into the low four-star range just because, um, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's a pretty dynamic guy on, on, on film. He's not this lumbering, not this lumbering, just, you know, massive power back that you expect. He's pretty, he's pretty nimble. He's not Samaje, you know, he's not Samaje Pirine nimble, but there's, there's a lot of value here. And he brings something different to the OU running back room. Um, you know, we'll let Caleb go into that a little bit more in the next segment, as I said. Uh, the other commitment was something that we predicted on our site about a week ago. Uh, right after the barbecue U weekend, Wyatt Gilmore, the defensive end from Minnesota. Uh, he's about 6'4", 6'5", 240. Has pretty, looks like he's got a pretty good wingspan. Uh, Oregon and Miami were also recruiting him, as well as P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. Um, really wanted him, so this was uh, an interesting win at defensive end for OU. He... He brings, I think he brings, a, there's a lot of value add here. There's a lot of, uh, he brings a lot to the table. One thing on Robinson I forgot is Robinson's enrolling early, which I think is uh, interesting based upon, I don't think OU's other running back targets will enroll early. So Robinson could get on campus, get in great shape, and possibly be someone who could help in the fall of um, 24. I'm not sure if Gilmore's enrolling early or not. I've not seen any confirmation of that. I kind of suspect that he might. And if he could, I think that he's 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 definitely an interesting possible depth piece uh, down the road. But two two commitments from right around the two big weekends that OU had puts OU up to uh, ten ten hard commitments. Uh, again, adding they've added some nice pieces over the last two weeks, uh, and I think it's it's setting up nicely for an interesting July. Um, uh, and we'll get to the, the July 1st is going to start with a bang. So uh, there's there's other positive news coming from the last 30 days, from the, sorry, the last seven days, Matt. So OU adds two commitments in Robinson and Gilmore. Uh, there's still some, I guess, residual effects left over from those two huge recruiting weekends. Uh, what what do you see coming, Chris, out of, out of that uh, that's still positive? Well, I think the the first thing is it's going to be interesting to see Justin Denson, the Rhode Island safety, um, the Slim Reaper, is announcing on July 1st. And it looks like Florida has filled their DB spots with another player. So it looks like it's coming down to OU and Michigan State. And I would guess OU probably is trending for Denson. And that would be very interesting to see what that does to uh, the DB the DB class because he's a he's an athletic uh, center fielder safety. You know he probably could play some corner as well. So he's a big guy, six two, one eighty five, nice frame. 
So it would be would be an interesting uh, intro into the, the DB class of who you used to pick him up. Zion Reagan's visited FSU. There was no commitment to FSU. There's no real buzz that FSU has broken into OU's lead. So that's two visits since Reagan's visited uh, on the July, sorry, the June 9th weekend. He's gone to two other places. Now visits are shut down until basically the fall. So I think if Reagan's is going to pull the trigger, we're going to see something in early July. If he does, it's, I think it's trending to be OU. In addition, uh, Michael Patterson McDonald has now announced a commitment date of July 31st. Uh, we've kind of projected him to Oklahoma. I think most people think that's going to be a, a win for the Sooners. And the, the big story of last week, Taylor Tatum kind of trending to OU is still continuing. I think we're going to hear a commitment date coming up from him in sort of the next you know seven, seven to 10 days. The July 4th holiday may throw things off a little bit. But it looks like he's still trending to OU, and he's obviously, you know, he's the number one running back in the country by the the composite composite rankings right now. So that would be a huge pickup and a and a big win for Demarco Murray if he can keep if he can keep OU uh, up front there. Well, not all news in recruiting can be positive. Uh, there's been a little turmoil lately uh, the past few days on Twitter, on the various message boards, a lot of back and forth going on about offensive line recruiting. It seemed like coming into the month, we were trending for or in the lead for or in the top three for 10, 12 offensive linemen, all you know, four-star talent. Uh, but lately, it seems like it's trending in the opposite direction. Chris, what, what are these negative storylines that are coming out? Well, there's three pieces of news. First off, uh, Caden Massey, um, we're recording this Thursday night, just chose K-State. And that's a little bit of a, that's not the trend line that some folks had to, when they started the month. So he's an eight-man football kid from Kansas. So I, I don't quite know what, trended what pushed him back to K-State. I don't know if it was distance or if he just feels like uh, it's a more comfortable projection development environment for someone coming from eight-man football. I'm kind of taking stabs at this. Um, So that was a little bit unexpected. Oh, you lost two guys who I don't think anyone really thought that they're going to get. I mean, Daniel Cruz picked Texas and some of you fans are like, oh, no, we lost Daniel Cruz. And I'm like, He's been going to Texas like last six months. Have you not noticed that he, you know, have you not seen all those trend lines? And then, oh, you lost Weston Davis to A&M. And A&M was the favorite going into that visit. And it sounded like, oh, you had a good visit with him. But he's just, he's, he's kind of reverted. What you're seeing is he's reverting back to the presumed favorite. And you see this a lot in recruiting where a guy Looks like he's looking in through two to three programs. And then when it comes to what, you know, uh, you know, it comes to not cutting time, as Caleb likes to say, they kind of revert back to the assumed favorite. And that's the case here with Cruz and Davis. And then the kind of the surprising news, which it's kind of hard to get a read on, is Casey Poe took a visit to Alabama. And then there's a lot of noise that Alabama has grabbed the lead. There's been some crystal ball action. Wilt Fong has put him in. 
He sounds like he's making a decision in the next two in, in two weeks from today. So there is time for OU to continue working on Poe and, and pushing their advantages. But if you lose Casey Poe to Bama at this late time, late at this late point in the in the recruiting battle, that's that that kind of stings. And then we got two other weird pieces, kind of a news of Davin Mitchell visited Miami, the 25, possibly 24 tight end, told a Miami, told a Miami reporter like outside them, who was like outside the Miami football offices, who interviewed Mitchell like in the middle of the visit. And Mitchell's like, oh, I love Miami. Miami's number one. Okay. So what do you expect the kid to say when he's being interviewed outside? you know, the Miami football offices on his visit. So uh, I think OU has a good chance to still land Mitchell. Bama sort of throwing their, they're sort of floating around as well, but I think they're about to pick up a 24, talented 24 tight end, one of the top five tight ends in the country. So if if Mitchell's really reclassifying, I, I don't think Bama, I don't think Bama's going to be a big option, but he's deciding, you know, a week from Saturday, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. OU has the connections. Joe John Finley badly needs to get uh, Davin Mitchell. Um, uh, he miss, missed out on Cooper Alexander, missed out on Nate Roberts. Uh, there, there are other tight ends in 25 he can get, or you know, really good players. But you know, he didn't sign an elite kid in 23, and if. And there's no one on the board for 24 right now, other than a reclassified Mitchell. So, kind of a kind of a mixed message there with Joe John Finley with tight end recruiting. He, he needs to he needs to close and land Mitchell. So, because it sounds like that's been his plan all spring long. So he he needs to execute and finish that. And then the last piece was, you know, last year OU was able to get PJ Adeware and really was able to sign him without sort of the big national powers kind of making a big move with him because he kind of blew up so late that OU kind of built like a sort of an insurmountable lead a little bit. This year, now, Aneri's been known all year long as, you know, he's been the number two, number three player in the country, number one defensive end, I think, since like January. So UGA's been making a big move. I don't quite understand why they're recruiting both um, Winery and JJA. Um, Caleb, I'm not sure if you, if that, if you, if that makes any sense to you either, why you would go after both of those kids. I can understand one, but both seems a little odd. Oh, you know, I can understand it a little bit. I mean, they're very talented, very talented, but I'm just kind of like, they, yeah, yeah. They, they, it's gonna be the it's gonna be the same position for both of those guys, not. I don't know. I, I think when I looked at, and I put this on the board, and and I put some screenshots in there for folks to kind of get an idea. And then, I mean, George is a three down uh, base defense, yeah. but what they do is really a three three five. They remove their Sam and they put in what they call a star, and they he's a he's a hybrid, right? Uh, hybrid guy, and so. When they're in that original, like that more of a three down, that end, which is where uh, Noary would play, he's he's really he's playing kind of like that four eye, right? Okay. Uh, and and so 
on that, you know, you'd have, I would assume JJ is going to be a defensive tackle in that scheme, but he's effectively, he's playing that four eye as well on the opposite side. And they usually have their Sam linebacker along the line of scrimmage as an edge player to the tackles side. When they go into their sub package, it's really just a four, two, five. And they do, they'll kick that, that defensive, both that, that end, which would net Noary, they'll kick him to an outside shade. Uh, and then, you know, they'll, what they'll do is Sam, he's still, he's spun down and he's playing an edge rush position. So Noary, I'm not, I'm sorry, JJA would then be like a three tech, uh, you know, so. So you'd be inside. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing I, to me. That's, I think Noary is a, is a pure four down. Uh, when I say four down, I mean like a you know a four man front defensive end. I, I would want him always on an edge. Uh, he's really good, you know, and real natural attacking the inside. Uh, so I, I'm sure he could play that. I you know I think Georgia they're just looking at it like who can we get and it's everybody you know and and, and it's it's some and of we'll, that and we'll figure it out a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Wendy took a visit to Georgia. Seems like he had a good visit to Georgia, but he's probably going to take a couple of weeks before making a decision. So the longer we get removed from that Georgia visit, I think the better. And obviously, Jamar Mosey wasn't with him on that visit. It was an unofficial visit. So uh, I think OU has it. I think OU has probably got a slight lead. And I think as the decision, um, as the decision, comes closer. I think some of the advantages OU has will help them. Plus, also, I think Georgia's going to land some additional defensive linemen between now and then. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they didn't get JJA's verbal commitment over the weekend. My only thought there, I, I think, I saw this somewhere, I think he had set a date of the 12th of July. Has he? Okay. That. Yeah. And okay. so he's on the 12th he will announce to uh to to Georgia. You know, so but yeah. Unless something I, drastic unless something drastic which we can't project happens. Yeah, I can't imagine. Uh you know, I will say when you follow Georgia at their sites, uh they're very much it's kind of it's really homerish. It's a little bit like some of the Clemson stuff when Clemson was really rolling where yeah, it didn't matter who it was, we're gonna get him. We lead. He's he's all in for us. So it's hard to tell because there hasn't been anything about JJA uh, and that visit and how it went. I assume it went really well. I will say, I do think one of the, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whatever that is out of uh, Noary, right. And him visiting Georgia, our sources inside the building, you know, and Norman told us, Hey, it's great. He left uncommitted. Like, you know, there was, it felt really good about him before that. And when he left there, not committed, it was like, okay, yeah, no worries. He's communicated with Oklahoma all the way. Yeah. And I think the other thing, the uh, he took his Missouri visit Thursday, Friday, left Columbia on Saturday. He didn't. He was not in Athens, Georgia, the entire weekend with all of the official visitors at UGA. Right. He was just there part of Sunday. So it was kind of just a, maybe a, a quick stop in. And all the word I've read through you know, some folks and kind of close to the Georgia side, what they've heard is sounds like Nwari, his plan is to tell me if I'm wrong, Chris, sat down with Jamar Mosey and his family, his high school coaches, his family, 
in somewhere in the next week and go through uh, what they think and where he thinks he's the best fit and make a decision and, and not take the, uh, not run it out to September. Yeah. Not take the, uh, not take the Oregon visit, not yeah. drag this out into the, to the fall, which I think is an advantage for you. So um, just from that. So, but yeah, Matt, it was, it would have been nice if Winery had not taken that second quick visit to Georgia. But again, he's the number three player in the nation. Georgia is the number one D line school in the country. You know, they're pumping out defensive line guys left and right. It's you're you're not gonna go ahead, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get Williams Maneri's signature without fighting some battles. And I thought it was gonna be Tennessee, and it looks like Tennessee's kind of dropped off and now, you know, Georgia made a big run and and you know, you you but you you gotta face these, you gotta face this and you gotta you gotta push through. These are the battles OU has got to has got to win. Um in terms of being able to restock the defensive line with, with, with impact guys. If I am, uh, and I think this is somewhat of a detached non Oklahoma, uh, fan view. If I'm looking at it and I'm kind of weighing everything that you see from the outside, because who wants, I mean, who wants to get inside of a 17 year old's head? Like, not this guy. Right. And you're just looking at trying to put it together. The fact that I think it's been Oklahoma and then Tennessee, and Tennessee was, hey, can they can they win this? He takes the visit to Tennessee, comes out of there, and all the word was didn't really blow him away, wasn't uh, didn't really move the needle, and then he decides, hey, I'm going to go check out Georgia, and then I'm going to make a decision. It really kind of feels like to me a kid that is leaning towards Oklahoma, and he's just making sure he checks the boxes. You know, he thought. Hey, maybe Tennessee is that box he leaves there. No, really wasn't. I'll go check out Georgia one more time before I make this decision. And just just to make sure I'm I'm making the correct decision. Uh so you know, yeah, I he, think like maybe he came out of the the maybe he came out of his his visits and then after OU's visit, the OU visit, like, you know, I want to go to OU and Mosey and his family's like, no, let's check some other boxes before you make a rash decision and just this because that's what he did with Caden Green. Um, that's what Mosey did with Caden Green. He's like, you know, Caden was ready to verbal to you, you know, fairly early. And, um, Mosey's like, no, let's, let's go through this process where he took a Michigan visit and he took some other visits. So, uh, let's, let's hope Caleb, I, I think that's generally where I kind of lean that OU's advantages are strong here. And, and George is chasing like four or five other defensive linemen at this point. So uh, he's kind of, he's got a little more special. You know, oh, you can make him a little more of a focus, and UGA would be like, "Well, you know, okay, we don't get you. Let's see if we can stop Ohio State momentum with Edric Houston, or get the McCrary kid from Florida, or add Edlin Breland, or you know, well, let's close out, let's close out JJA because they've already got four def- good defensive line commits. Yeah. So, you know, they 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 could easily add JJA and McCrary and be you know." be at like six or seven and decide, you know, okay, well, we're not going to wait in one area. We're just going to close. We're going to close this out with our five, with our six guys in the top 100. Well, maybe OU will be in that position one day. We'll have to see. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. But, it'd be nice if in-state, in, we had three or four top 100 defensive linemen in-state every year. I suppose. That would certainly help. Georgia has like eight. So it, it's, it's certainly a little bit of an advantage. Well, like we said, uh, what a few episodes ago, 
you know, this is that time where you're going to ride the highs and you're going to ride the lows. Not every little bit of bad news is going to be bad news in the end. Not every bit of good news is going to be good news in the end. Just have to make it through this time, not sweat Monterey going to see Athens while we think he was visiting uh, some family in Atlanta. So there's that side of the story too. So not everything's bad as it seems. Not everything is as good as it seems. Um, we still feel pretty good about him being part of this class. Uh, we think O-line will, you know, turn a corner. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But in the meantime, let's get back to the good news of those two commits. We'll get a breakdown from Caleb. Uh, Caleb, what about Xavier Robinson's game do you like? Uh, I will say on the outset of that, uh, he's probably been one of the guys I've kind of gone back and forth on the most. Uh, And honestly, for no reasons, uh, no real tangible reasons in terms of what you see on film, only gone back and forth, essentially, because we've talked about this, whether it's on the board or on here, when you've seen pictures of him and you've seen video of him this spring, he is a huge kid. Like he is really big. He's six and one and a half, uh, probably 240 pounds going into his senior year. So as a, you know, just shy of his senior year. So the question for me always was, what does that grow into? Like, what does that become? Uh, does that become, does he grow out of running back? Does he not? Uh, you know, but so as a running back, I would say, I mean, there is a ton to really like about him. He is a big, powerful kid i think he's he's a really smooth accelerator uh he's not a he's not a guy that struggles to get the top speed and he is a guy i talk about this i probably quite a bit i think some of the things that are probably the most overlooked aspects of what makes a really good running back is right some vision gets talked about a lot but i think one of the biggest pieces is, is balance and ability to run through trash and he's got that in spades. And, you know, such a big kid. One of the clips on his highlight reel is him returning a kickoff. And watching him, you know, kid dies at his thighs. He, you know, probably dislocates the kid's shoulder. Stiff arms some kids. He outruns some others. Someone jumps on his back. And if you've ever run the ball in a game, like oddly enough, that is one of the most difficult tackles to break. When someone gets on your back, it's just natural that momentum, the additional weight legs give you go down, you go forward. You see him just shrug that off, you know, uh, kid falls off and and he runs it in. I think he brings a ton to the Oklahoma running back room, uh, as a player and what his ability is, you know, I think he can be a tone setter. Uh, you know, he's for a team that in an offense that wants to be a physical North South to, you know, rushing team he brings you know some uh some intangibles that some other guys don't you know he's not a guy that in the world of positionless defense where linebackers are six foot six foot one 225 pounds he's not a kid that you want to tackle over and over and he's not a guy that those guys are going to have a ton of success in light boxes tackling over and over you know, so I think that's, you know, college football is unique from the NFL in that whether it's different types of schemes and also different types of players really excel 
you know, that you are just, you know, unique, right? Like Lindell White, not really successful in the NFL. He was in a fantastic college running back for lots of different reasons. And, and I think, you know, I think Xavier's got some of that in him just in terms with, again, kind of how, how smooth, how smooth of an accelerator he is. I, you know, and then on the other side of that, if he does continue to grow, I, I think there's some real potential for him to play that H back, right? So some of what you see Oklahoma do with that sniffer uh, tied in position where he's, you know, offset line kind of right off the tackles, but uh, you know, what he gives you there, I mean, he's such a big physical kid, you know, him coming across, uh, kicking out defensive ends, leading up uh, on linebackers, and then your ability to then pop and give him the ball. Some of those, pos- uh, those pop pass concepts, rather, you know, if, if that's what he grows into, you know, I think, he would, I think uh, if he's a willing blocker, he would excel uh, in that role as well. But, you know, I think... Uh, People talk a lot about now, particularly with wide receiver rooms, how you want to build a basketball team. You know, we want we want a small forward. We want a guard, you know, guys that can win a jump ball. We want the jitterbug that runs 4-3 that we can just throw that that quick slip screen to. And in some ways, you know, running back rooms used to be built that way too, right? We're going to have that change of pace, that quick third down guy, but we're also going to have that thumper. And, and I think he, you know, he brings that. I, I, uh, I think he'll, if his head's screwed on right and all, you know, everything you hear is he's a really mature kid that is that way. You know, I, I, I think he'll have a, a really solid Oklahoma career. Yeah, you bring up his maturity. And one of the first things he mentioned after the commitment, I forget which service he was talking to, um, but we, we saw a little quote from that where he, the, one of the first things he mentioned was getting with Schmitty. And getting into OU, getting into the strength and conditioning program, and and working on his body. How many recruits commit to a school and then immediately talk about one of the hardest strength and conditioning coaches there is in the country? Yeah, one one funny thing is that I think their interview was from OU Insider, and um, and they did you know Brandon Drum did a good job interviewing him, and one of the the one nugget I loved was he talked about how he and David Stone played tailback together. In like eighth grade, <laughs> that they were like in the in like a two back set in eighth grade. And David Stone in eighth grade was was probably you know six four two forty, um, because he he looked that big when he was a freshman at, at Dell City when he was at like OU camp and everyone's like who's that kid? He's like oh he's a freshman. He's like he's not a freshman. So I uh, just having images um that somewhere there's somewhere there's like archive video of Xavier and David Stone just. Just you know, just just running through middle school defensive lines and linebackers for like, you know, just abusing these poor kids like the like the famous Ronald Lewis um, hit video from 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 middle school um, back in the day where you know everyone you know, everyone you know Ronald hits this poor kid in middle school and everyone's like it's like a like a soccer mom's recording it and everyone goes and you hear everybody audibly go oh so. I'm hoping there's some archive video of of David Stone and Xavier Robinson, like you know, like this old Selman brothers. The for those back in the day, the Selman brothers used to run the wishbone at Ufala. Um, uh, Leroy, Leroy, and, and I think Lucius were halfbacks, and Dewey was the fullback, and they used to run the wishbone. So you know, like in small school 
Oklahoma, you know, you've got like, you know, three, you know, you know, Leroy was like a six, three, two thirty tailback, just abusing people. So I hope someone has eighth grade video of, um, of Xavier Robinson and David Stone as back as a backfield running back. Well, I, I mean, I like the pickup just for all the reasons you guys mentioned. It brings a new dynamic to the running back room. Caleb, I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, you know, you've, you've talked about this before where Jeff Levy's beer and shoot system is sometimes a little rigid. Do, do you see him doing some more wrinkles and bringing in a little bit more creativity with uh, Robinson? I hope so. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do hope so. You know, even although I would say if he did not, uh, I think he's a unique enough kid that he can, uh, even within Jeff's system, he would be able to provide, you know, I would say day one, but some unique things. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, at least when you'd watch like the Ole Miss film, uh, Ole Miss had a bit of a, like a all purpose guy, scat back type. They would see him align him in the backfield. They'd motion him and run a lot of jet sweeps, put him there in the slot, uh, you know, in a, say a fast forward in a perfect world, whether that's someone like a Smothers, uh, or a Tatum, if, if Oklahoma, uh, well, Tatum possibly more of a Durham, if Oklahoma is able to land Caden Durham. Guy like that can do that. And in a two back set, uh, you know, if you got like with Robinson, hey, you know, he's, he's comfortable as a blocker, you know, because he's six, six, one, 240. You play him, you align him, you know, on what looks like a two back set. But there's a lot of different things you can do with when you're pairing him with who I think is also another childhood friend that played uh, on some of the teams together there in the OKC area, which is, you know, Caden Durham, right? You've got the ability to move Durham around, move Robinson around, and you can, you know, really start to play chess a little bit with uh, some how you want to try to isolate and play find the fish on the defense. All right. So that's a lot of positive that we can take from Xavier Robinson. Chris, you mentioned earlier, he'll he'll probably move up in the rankings. I agree with that. I mean, he had a a monster junior year. Now he's going to have Kevin Sperry in the backfield with him, probably going to put up some monster stats again. And he's already talked about, you know, strength and conditioning. Maybe he uh, really works on his body the rest of the summer, uh, has a, a fantastic senior year, moves up a little bit in the rankings. And, you know, you get a little boost from being an OU commit too, possibly. So um, there's Xavier Robinson. Caleb, what about Wyatt Gilmore, the defensive end uh, from Minnesota? What are your, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> this is a fun one. Because uh, one of the other guys on the site, Barry, right? Everyone knows from uh, Space Mon, but, you know, Barry and Mac, uh, we disagree on him, I think, a decent amount. Uh, I, I think he sees, and I would readily admit, maybe some athletic limitations to, to, uh, to Wyatt. And I would, I would concede there are some athletic limitations, but... I always try to look at it in terms of like, does your athletic ability match up with what the position needs and what the position demands and what the defense is going to ask you to do, right? There's a reason we don't, the teams don't play corners at defensive end, right? It's, 
you know, yeah, he's fast. Well, it's not just all about speed. It's not all about twitch. And, you know, so when I look at, you know, when I look at Wyatt Gilmore, I, I really like the kid, you know, when you see pictures of him next to Chavis, he looks like he might actually be six, five. He's listed as six, four, maybe six, four and a half, 245 pounds. You can tell that he's a weight room kid. Gets good, after weight, good weight spank too, Caleb. He doesn't look short armed. Like, no, he's not. Uh, he has one of the kind of the knocks on Ethan Downs. They're coming out, right? As Ethan Downs was a little, uh, you know, sawed off, uh, you know, that that's not Wyatt, you know, but when I watch him, like, uh, when you really start to study him and some of the defensive ends, whether it's across the NFL or other, other areas, it's not always guys that are really good at rushing the passer. It's not because, you know, they are elite first step miles garrett types you know miles garrett von miller those types of guys they're really rare that's you know but there's let's say 64 inch starters in the nfl right and there's two of those guys a lot of those guys win because they have you know a relentless motor right they have they are powerful right they can you know tackle anchors on them they can really push and push to bust that tackles anchor and then they'll work to a secondary move and you know it's uh trying to think the defensive end that played for the Bengals for quite a while Uh, he was an auburn guy no uh he's smaller actually guy i'm trying to he played played at auburn uh i'm gonna say it was d4 but anyway of all the guys in the nfl that used to give trent a massive amount of problems. Like there was a span, uh, I remember when Trent was with the Redskins when they played uh, the Bengals, where he got he had a two or three sack game on him. Like only guy that has, has ever really done that, and it wasn't because he was beating Trent with his first step. It's because he was so powerful to the point when Trent would anchor, he could really start to bust that anchor, and he worked to secondary, oftentimes inside move, uh, or you know get a spin move to the outside. And it just Trent struggled at times to, to really lock that in. So when I, I watch Gilmore, I think from a pass rushing perspective, like that's probably what he's going to bring. It's more of, you know, uh, a, a speed to power going to be able to give you, uh, you know, more of a, of, uh, of a power rush on, on that side. And you hope that he continues to develop like some secondary pass rush moves, but uh, you know, as a, as a run defender, he's really strong at the point of contact. He plays, he always keeps really good. Just, understanding of football natural leverage he's never getting hooked always work you know keeping that outside shoulder free chasing it down to the outside and i think i said this on on the board he does so many of the little things that you kind of take for granted from good football players uh well that when you don't see him and uh, we've not had him for a little bit from just pure defensive ends you realize oh wait you know that's actually really valuable. Like just being able to consistently make all the plays you're supposed to, and then flash every now and again, extremely, extremely valuable. Uh, you know, I think he's probably more of a, of a strong side defensive end. I think he'll be someone that grows into a you know, six four and a half, two hundred sixty five pound, you know, guy that you want to play opposite of, you know, a PJ or a Nwari. But uh, I, I think he's in in some ways because of you know his power. Uh, and what I think he'll be able to grow into with his body, you know, he's uh, a a really good fit opposite of, you know, a guy that can win with elite speed. And perhaps teams running away from running away from PJ or Winery. And I could just see 
Gilmore sort of eating stats in like a one-on-one blocking environment and teams trying to run at him because he, as you said, he sets the edge really well. He's, he's shockingly good at tight end too. Um, he's athletic. I think that is one of the things yeah. I like about his tight end film is you see an athletic kid and you see and he's a also, football player and he just hits people too. He's just, he's just, he's got a little nasty in him too. So a little bit. He's a relentless, relentless blocker. He is. He's burying people. So, um, I, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of upside here. I think he also, the guy from the Bengals that I was thinking about, maybe not quite as long as Sam Hubbard, but in like a four, three kind of look, if he's six, five, two, two sixty five, he could give you kind of that, kind of that appeal. Whereas, you know, Ohio state had like the premium rusher on the other side. And then Hubbard just sort of ate stats and has done a little bit of the same thing in the NFL. He may not be as long as Hubbard, but that's that's I'm trying to I'm trying to do like a different comp for him. That kind of came to mind. But. You know who he looks like physically to me uh, on the hoof, and even in Duza, I would say there's maybe a little bit of like tightness in the hips, right uh, right now, and that's probably one of the things Barry isn't as much of a fan of, but. When you watch Trey Hendrickson, uh, played for the Saints, he now plays yeah, yeah. for the, for the Bengals. Everything about their game looks really similar. Like Trey wins because uh, you know he's he's relentless, right? He he uh, has a good first step, first step, but he is just an absolute like hair on fire motor, go get him guy. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, they're really similar in build and in, you know in, in style of play. Is Caleb uh, like a closet? No, 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 I'm not. I just, uh, yeah. I mean, the Bengals have been good since Joe Burrow got there. And it's been interesting to watch them face off in the playoffs. So, Hendricks and they did a good job going out and signing him as a pass rusher. All right. Well, um, that's all good stuff, right? Let's um, circle back to maybe the uh, the biggest fight we might have <laughs> on this podcast tonight. I just did one uh, thing, one, one last thing what? on Gilmore is on our site, and I, I think a bunch of other websites had been talking about Jason Ross and OU. I, I really think Gilmore eliminates that option because I think OU only wants to take two or three defensive ends. And Gilmore is one slot. We hope Winery is the other. And I think we all really hope Okoye is the other spot. So I, I don't think OU... I think OU is going to is driving hard for both. You know, in an ideal world, they get a Koye and a Wary, uh, and and that with Gilmore, that would be a great three-player defensive end group. I think the only guy who could maybe enter into that a little bit is, is Zena Uma Umuzulu uh, Zoo, who still is looking at OU, but it's hard to imagine him not going to Texas. But I, I think Matt, I think that means Jay Sean Ross is probably heading elsewhere. Yeah. So defensive line. Maybe six guys, three on the inside, three and on the outside. And go to seven, seven if it's a special guy, like maybe McKinley or Okoye. Absolutely. I, I don't so, think there's any way you turn those two kids away. I, nah, you nah, know, nah. McKinley's a five-star defensive tackle, and Okoye, in my mind, is a potential five-star defensive end. And, you know, I think yeah, said, so it's, it's a no-brainer. If you could come away with six, I think you're like, okay, that's good, right? That's... That's the numbers we needed. If you could, and then just say, let's, if we could get another elite kid, kid, great. Let's go far. If both those guys want to be Sooners, we'll sign an eight player defensive line class, right? We just, we won't worry about it. 
Well, it's, it's funny that we're talking about the defensive line being a spot where we've got great offers. We've got a lot of guys interested. We're talking about six, seven, if it's the right fit, guys, right? Yeah, possibly. Um, you know, we think we're yeah. going to get to those numbers. Historically, OU, well, I say historically, but in the last 10 seasons, we've struggled on the defensive line, struggled recruiting, struggled in games, struggled uh, putting guys into the league. The other side of the ball, conversely, has been on the offensive line, a, a unit of strength, especially since Bill Biedenbaugh has been at OU. Uh, he just got his first first round draft pick, but he's got guys dominating in the league these days. But t- class of 2024, we're starting to run into a wall here. In the last, uh, really, it's the last week or so, Chris. What, what, what is going on with the OU class right okay, now? So I'm, I'm going to give you the. We're going to let Caleb go after me, and he can, he can kind of give you guys a little bit of the spit of the the message board stuff with a little hope that you know Caleb and I gone back and forth on this and our moderator chat all day because it's just been like, it's it's like it's. I didn't think anything could suck the air out of the room. Other than the defensive line class, and then like within seven days, all OU fans are like off their are off their Prozac and are just are just near suicidal over the O line class. It's just it's it's like nothing I've ever seen. So basically, what's happened is Bill Beaton. Let's just recap it. Bill Beaton brought in about twelve kids on official visits, offensive linemen for the two big weekends. Okay. That's one-fifth of OU's official visits that they can use. Of course, we think, Bill, we want Bill to sign four or five or six offensive linemen. So that's like one-fifth of a 25-player class. So, okay, that doesn't present any red flags right now. A couple of the guys were probably some Reaches and Weston Davis and Daniel Cruz. Okay, all right. Maybe, maybe you're just playing out the recruiting process and – you just want to continue the process and just play it out in the end, and it's not that big a deal. But as we mentioned with Casey Poe, now looking at Bama, Massey chose K-State. Grant Brick seems to be all over the place. Bennett Warren, same thing. Marquise Easley is deciding on July 8th, and despite the fact he's down to three schools, that doesn't include Georgia. Everyone thinks he's going to Georgia. It's it's a very weird situation. I've only ever seen it one time like this um, in recent history, and it was a I think his name was Eric Jackson. He was an A and M DB. He posted like I'm, I'm down to these five schools, including OU and all OU. Eric Young. Like, no, it was Eric Young. You're right. Thanks, thanks, Caleb. Um, and it was like everyone's like, well, he's going to A and M. We don't know why he's put out a top five list that doesn't include Texas A and M, and he's like. You know, he's posting on Twitter, I'm going to shock the world. And, you know, I know you fans are like, do we have a shot at him? And, and, and all the slides at the time are like, uh, no, oh, you doesn't know why he's, oh, you doesn't know why they're listed. They don't know why they're a hat on the table. And he, and he chose Texas A&M. So it was just like, what, 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 what are you doing? And I don't think he's done anything at A&M, but I, I can't speak. My knowledge of A&M secondary players is not as good as, uh, uh, it's just not good. So I don't think he's done anything at AM. So if I'm Marcus Easley, I, I, I might just repost my top four, my top three and, and make it a top four and put Georgia on there see if you're going to choose Georgia. It's, it's a weird circumstance. And then, you know, Eddie Pierre, a Louis, had a great visit to OU, but 
there's been some distance concerns. So it's like OU's kind of getting knocked around by different things. Like distance might hurt him with some kids. One kid doesn't. I think Massey has concerns about playing at OU at this level. I think, I think there's been some weirdness about him concerned about, you know, whether he can really fit in at OU. And then you've got Bennett Warren, who may choose Michigan, may choose A&M, who he hasn't really talked about much. And it's and so basically, there's a real concern that Bill could go 0 for 12 with these kids. And the thing, Caleb, that, I, I, that I'm having a hard time processing is the moment OU lose, lost Bryant-Wesco, Emmett Jones had four offers out and had three new kids in the pipeline. Reengaged with Zion Reagans and had you know four kids ready to ready to jump on campus. Built, there's no new OU offers. There's no no one's saying they're re, been reengaged with OU. That new offers are going out. Uh, I've asked Saptown, our our brilliant Twitter researcher, to see if he can dig up some names, some new follows from Bill. But it's like, and I mean. You know, is Bill the best recruiter on the planet? No. Is he a good developer of offensive linemen and offensive offensive groups? Yes. But, you know, Brent Venables is also helping him recruit. So is Jeff Levy. So how 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 are we how is OU going 0 and 12 in July with all three of those minds working and driving on OU recruiting? And if they truly think they're gonna miss on all these kids. Where are the offers so that OU can get those kids, on, or get those kids to visit unofficially for the party at the palace at the end of July, or, or get those kids ready to take official visits with whatever numbers OU has left? And last time I did the math, and it's hard, it's hard to tell with the math on that. OU's at, OU has like fifty six or fifty seven official visits to use since April first. They used about six of them for portal guys after spring, and they've used about 41 or 42 between in the month of June, between um, Xavier Robinson visited midweek, um, Ivan Carrion visited over the weekend, Dozy uh, Ezukama visited and committed, and Jaden Jackson, the IMG defensive tackle, also visited. And I'm not sure. If Casey Poe used an official or not when he came into town, it's it's hard to get a, a read on that. So, you know, OU is down to maybe like nine official visits. Um, there's only two kids, I think, from the, the from the core group OU's recruiting that have official visits left. That would be Danny Okoye and Davon Mitchell, if he is able to reclassify, would have an official visit. So there's not that many players, but if OU goes 0 for 12 with the offensive line guys, which I, I can't even believe I'm really saying, you're gonna have you need to sign at least three high school offensive linemen at a minimum. So you'd have to probably bring in at least two to three kids in this fall who are your who are your backup options. Now, Josh uh, Sooner Scoop, um, who you know he's has always followed O-line recruiting pretty heavily. He says it's a really bad class overall nationally for O-line, which I thought was an interesting comment. I disagree. Uh, yeah, but, I, yeah, I thought it was an interesting comment from him, at least, uh, from that perspective. But 
you know, you got to sign. So you got to sign to maybe at least get to at least three high school guys, right? And OU's probably going to need to spend at least two or th- four or five visits on portal guys. And maybe the portal relief again comes through like it did last year. Um, but, but Caleb, go ahead. It's, it's, I wish I had some magic bag of tricks where I said, I mean, to me, Bill spent all of June offering O-line for 25 and 26 at OU summer camp, offering lots of great kids, getting ahead on recruiting. So it looked to me like, okay, he's got his visit set up. He's going to pick up four or five kids from the big weekends this year for, for 24, and he's going to move on to 25 and 26 because he's got all these kids to draft. And instead, I, I don't know how to process if it's as bad as it's as it was as bad as it seems, and it's a little bit, I think, of some echo chamber stuff going on a little bit between the various sites. Um, and Bill's always been a little bit of a stealth bomber in terms of recruiting information. The sites didn't really know he was going to pick up uh, Ozetta and Howland last year. They knew he was getting Caden Green because Caden Green had like a two year relationship with OU, and everyone pretty much knew he was committed. Um, you know, and, and then in like April. So he he could pull something out of out of like out of nowhere. He, you know, he did this or there in Parks and Anton Harrison. All of a sudden, they were sooner commits out of not really listing OU for a while. Um, so, but but Caleb, I I got nothing in my bag of tricks. It, it looks like right now you can't project OU going. Sadly, oh for not wanting to leave Iowa and go to Oklahoma far enough to Oklahoma. You know, the Florida, Eddie Pierre-Louis wanted to stay in Florida, not wanting to go halfway across the country. We just saw Derek LeBlanc kind of blow up because of that distance factor. So, okay. So it's just, it's weird, Caleb. I, 30 days ago, it, it just didn't look this way. And it's hard to understand what has, we, all we got was, you know, strong, solid signs from the, the weekends, the players, certainly none of the players really saying anything negative. There was a, this weird thing with Caden Massey saying he didn't have enough time with Bill, and he said that on his unofficial visit too. I don't, I don't know how to read that, but um, go ahead. I got. I'm usually trying to defend Bill, but I, I I don't know what to make of what's currently going on. Well, I don't either. Uh, I definitely wouldn't pile on them because the race is not one run. Rather, I mean, there's a. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said in terms of like echo chambers, right? I mean, the the word on Grant Bricks suddenly, after taking five official visits, he's decided, oh, I don't know if I want to go far from home. Like, I'm not saying I call bullshit, right? <laughs> uh, that just seems odd because, like, wait, you're visiting all of these schools unofficially throughout the entire spring, and then you take these schools these visits uh visits rather officially in june and then you decide like hey i didn't realize that when i drove when i took that flight or I, I drove that you know the two other times you know in the last fall and this spring it took it took me taking the official in june to realize it was i don't know right there might be it's weird know, it's a weird it's, it's like the girlfriend of k-state is being thrown out there i'm like all right you know the word that was really odd and we talked about this probably a month ago on the pod, and it was, hey, this Oklahoma has potential to sign maybe their best offensive line class ever. Yeah. Because it, you thought Poe is going to be a sooner. 
you thought Bricks is going to be a Sooner, they'll land at least one of the three in terms of Massey, Easley, and Warren, right? And then it looks like, let's be really honest, like I, I get that Eddie Pierre-Louis is from Florida and might not want to leave. Like there's just not a planet that exists that you go play for Gus Malzon and UCF there when you could go and Bill's just, you know, the top center in the NFL, Oklahoma, right? Top left tackle in the NFL, Oklahoma, top right tackle. Let's be honest. Eddie Pierre-Louis under Bill and Schmitty is a NFL type offensive guard. I mean, he's, it's a Davin Joseph type guy, but I think he's, you know, yeah, it's, that's what it is. Right. And Davin made, a number of Pro Bowls. So two, uh, two NFL contracts and pocketed how much, how many millions? So. Lots. Yeah. Living a good life, hopefully. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what to make of it. You know, I, I disagree with Josh, uh, you know, pretty vehemently where he says it's not a good year for offensive line. I don't really look at offensive line and talk about this a ton. Uh, there's some listeners that somewhat disagree, right? I don't really look at offensive line as in terms of they're not finished products. I do agree there's not a Caden Proctor in this class that looks like at 17 yeah. or 18 yeah, yeah, yeah. that he's been in a college program and like, hey, is this guy well, maybe, ready for the combine? There's not that. The Mangua kid? Yeah, yeah. There's not. Yeah, there's not. These, or the, or the kid from the other kid that went to Miami who was from um, Massachusetts. Uh, yeah. Whose name yeah. I can't pull. But those three guys were like beasts, right? He, they he, were. The one from Massachusetts was a little bit different in terms of like he wasn't three hundred and thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But he, he was, was he was a mon- he was a monster. But you know, yeah. most of these kids are a little bit on the on the leaner side, right? Yeah. But here's the deal: <laughs> none of these kids are going to play college football in the fall of two thousand and twenty three. They probably won't play college football till the fall of two thousand and twenty five. And a kid that is like Grant Briggs, you're six six two seventy in June. 2023. You're probably six foot six, 310, 315 pounds in August of 2025. Right. Yeah. So that's where I disagree in it and it not being a good class. Uh, the worrisome part of that for me is, you know, you're looking at like whether it's Max Anderson, Grant Bricks, Ellis Davis, Weston Davis, Caden Massey, right? Andrew Sprague, all of these guys, these are guys from region. Yeah, it's I mean, not, I, 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 it's get, not I get Oklahoma the Max Anderson thing. Well, well, I'm just saying, I'm just, yeah, my point yeah. there is it's in region guys. It's guys that are within yeah. Yeah. a really get, short they drive. They get two of them, right? They get it's really two short, of them. Yeah, it's a really short drive to Norman, you know, for all these guys comparatively. And you're not losing most of these kids to Alabama and to Georgia, right? You are. Now, Michigan didn't come in and take the top tackle, you know, two of the top tackles in the country that are from Texas and Kansas, right? So there is that. Uh, yeah. And Sharon Moore's got the got the Joe Moore double Joe Moore awards. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess he miniaturized them down. Yeah, you know, and he, he's got like a miniature version. He brings them on visits. But know, the scary, the, the worrisome thing about this is a number of the losses are to you know Tennessee, and I know Tennessee had a good a good uh, a good year last year. You know, yeah, Tennessee's Tennessee's twenty nine and twenty in the trailing four years. And they've been through coaching change. Not a great yeah. program. You know, Nebraska. Nebraska is, I think, worse than that. Right. And they're going through a coaching change. You know, Kansas State, everybody thinks, hey, Kansas State's just, you know, really good team. I'll I'll, I'll correct you on that. You think that because your expectation (laughs) for Kansas State is so low. They are 30 and 20 through Chris Kleinman's four years in Manhattan. Right. They're not 
they had this great year last year and they kind of caught lightning in a bottle. And I, you know, best defensive end Kansas State has had in 20 or 30 years was on that team. The best running back since Darren Sproles was on that team. And maybe one of the best receivers they've ever had was a sixth year senior was on that team. And all those kids are gone. We, you know, I think they'll probably come back to earth. Uh, but, you know, you're losing multiple kids to Kansas State. You lost kids to Texas Tech. And Texas A&M coming off five and seven seems to be a no-brainer pick for most of these kids over Oklahoma. And it could be, could be wrong, you know, in terms of like Bennett Warren could make the decision. And that's why I say, like, I don't want to get too far. Yeah. In the sense of like. Freaking we, out. In the next two weeks, if Oklahoma wins Marky Seasley and they win Eddie Pierre-Louis, right? And you're sitting there like, hey, you know, you've got a, th- a three-man class of Autry, Easily, and Pierre-Louis. You know, I, I, I think the kid out of Norman North, Harrison Utley, to me, the guy that he reminds me of is Ricky Stromberg. Uh, was okay. a center from Tulsa Union. Oklahoma didn't recruit him. Neither did Oklahoma State. All he did was go to uh, Arkansas, was two-time All-SEC, and got drafted, I think, in the uh, third round <laughs> this past year, right? And I think he's, you know, the people don't value from a recruiting perspective, you you value the six seven three hundred pound tackle more than you do the six foot three two hundred eighty five pound center. Uh, but, you know he's there for the taking, and that'd be a good four man class. You know, uh, but you touched on the overall concern. The overall concern is if you miss on every one of these kids, is kind of two questions that come to mind there. Right, one is. How quickly can we can you really get a new offensive line board together? Because you go through these, a lot of these kids that are kind of that next rung down, they're still choosing being, other. They're choosing other schools. Too. They're choosing other schools, and they've already taken. They're taking visits to Florida, LSU, yeah. and they, you know they've taken four visits and they're getting ready. So you're really in a bad spot where hey, maybe there's some coaching changes we can pounce on, right? Maybe something will happen, you know. But the real big question coming out of that is. What mechanisms inside of Norman or inside of, you know, with Bill have broken down that you thought, you know, recruiting all these 12, 13, 14 kids over the last year and a half, where's the disconnect? Like what happened from a process perspective? Because like, right. And, and if like you're Brent, the, if you're Brent, what, why are you, how, how did you let this happen? Because what, what level of oversight do you have on what Bill's doing? And are you not, I mean, why did you let Bill bring in Max Anderson, you know, and Daniel Cruz, right? I mean, and, and Fox Crater, right? Like, hey, we wasted three official visits on three offensive linemen that, you know, two of them, well, well uh, I mean, Cruz wasn't Crater. committed. But he, you know, was, he was, he was committed. I mean, I it, agree. Was, it, it was pointless. Well, Cruz, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I was fine with it. Like, and I was like, okay, you're just following the, you just, you know, checking the box. Yeah, checking the box. You're following your process. Mm-hmm. You're completing it, and you're just. But you, it's fine because you've got these other guys, right? That you're. You just you're just following your process and making sure that there's not some last minute trigger that you that Daniel Cruz says, you know, I'm not going to Texas. I'm opening my recruiting back up. And you lost that chance to, you know, be the be the be the backup school or something like that. I don't. <laughs> Yeah. So, no, but I mean, I understand that. Transfers. Only, 
only <laughs> if you know you're getting only if you're like, okay, we just part, we just, you know, we're, I'm just, I'm making this last sales call. I know I'm not going to land it, but I got four cherries contracts already signed this quarter and I need to make sure I'm finishing the process because next quarter, maybe I'll come back to them and see if they, they're not happy with who they're with. Right. Like, you know, I, I understand that, but if he goes, Oh, Oh, for eight with the other guys and, you know, I, I, losing Massey, I like Massey, but I, I like, I kind of think he looks like Drew Batts, the big guy we got from uh, eight man football in Oklahoma. Uh, the walk-on they got. So, and I think Massey's probably pretty raw the, of the offensive tackle guys we're looking at. I think he's the rawest of them. He may have the highest upside because his story is like, has NFL first round pick story written all over it, right? Like small eight man football from Kansas. Goes what I like about Massey is, I, I do like Massey more than Bass. You know, Massey went to the, uh, yeah, he went to the camp. He has the camp. He has camp and, and was, yeah, it was that, really that, that good. That doesn't happen. You know, but he was. It, he was. But he the guys that are, yeah. you know, power five, big time rushers. You know, he, but I, but I think he's the well, rawest of the offense. I mean, hundred percent agree. Yeah. If you go, I mean, of the tackles, he's he's. It, I mean, the ceiling is like it could be huge high, but the floor development floor could be a little tricky. But um, yeah, it's it's baffling. I'm I'm hoping that Bill sort of pulls something out of his ass and. And mid-July, we're having a good laugh over the, the angst of this podcast. Like, you know, July, next time we record, like, I don't know, like July 20th or something, we're like, oh, that was funny talking about how bad Bill is at offensive line recruiting and how the class is a disaster, wasn't it? But, you know, it's, it's weird. And the, and the visit numbers are the, are the biggest thing I'm, I came out of this concerned about because yeah, I can see OU wanting to have three or four portal guys, and generally speaking, to get three portal guys at positions, we're averaging about five, five players coming in to get three, right? Something along those lines. At least, I mean, maybe even six. Yeah, six or seven. So you're bid, you know, batting fifty percent. Yeah, so that, that's that may be a good number, right? But you know, if I mean, I just watched a, a YouTube video with the uh, Senior Bowl guy. Um, and uh, Cole Kublik talking about Tyler Guyton being the number one tackle on their board. And they were talking about, they were talking about Lane Johnson and how he, you know, he was a quarterback at Kilgore and then a tight end at OU and then a defensive end at OU. He may not have been a tight end at OU, so I might have confused. And then, you know, they're like, his, his, did he play tight end too? Okay. And then like his junior year, he's an old Big 12, you know, tackle. And now he's, you know, he's possibly a Hall of Fame tackle, right? So they were talking about him and they said, hey, guess what? OU has this guy who started three games last year, but he's the best tackle. He's the best NFL tackle prospect in the country. Tyler Guy. You know, and the and the guy, the, the senior ball guy who's is, is a really good, Jim, really good. Jim, Jim Yeah, he's a really good evaluator, right? He does a good job. He looks at lots of film, looks at lots of kids. And he's like, you know, Guyton does stuff on film that a guy that big just shouldn't be able to do. He's like, he does, he, he's, you know, so. Let's just say OU OU's losing Rouse and Guyton, right? So they need, and Sexton is still, let's say Sexton doesn't see the field that much, so you're not quite sure where he is at tackle, right? I think that's a fair, that's a fair question. OU could legitimately say, well, we're going to go try and find another Rouse and the portal. And, we'll, and we're going to pitch literally that message. Like, you know, look, come here, develop for a year and be a, and, and raise your draft rate, you know, a couple of, couple of spots. So I think, oh, you could have that, maybe a backup quarterback. 
And I agree. Maybe a, de- well, maybe a defensive end. So the, the reason I think though that signing offensive linemen in high school and developing him yourself, you need at least three or four a year. Is it's well, it. it. so important is you can't control what goes into the portal. And the reality is hope is not a plan. Like in the, in the story of Tyler Guyton is actually a good example of Tyler has done very little on film. You know, he's projected to be a possible top 10 pick based all on how he looks in a uniform and how he tests physically. It's a trait thing. It's like why I like Massey so much, right? It's, yeah, a, tra- yeah. it's a trait thing. It's like, Hey, these are certain traits and size. You can't teach this. And he moves so well. He's got all this. We coach him up. He's great. I think, I do think Tyler will have a great year. Every word you heard is like he and Schmidt are best friends, you know, air quotes, but like Jerry knows this guy has, has got it and uh, he's working extremely hard. So I expect big things from him. And, and I think when the draft rolls around, it'll be, Hey, here's all the upside and he's a good player. But I, I say that just to say like, you know, you never know. Like there could be the next Tyler Guyton could be looking at it and like, you know what? I could go to Oklahoma. And I could come, you know, and, and raise my draft grade. Oh, but I'm already going to be a second round pick because I'm six six and I'm three, you know, three fifteen, and I'm going to run four seven. So I'm going to get drafted anyway. I'll just go. Yeah, it's 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 again. You and I are both on the same page here. We want a four or five player high school class. I'd be fine if they could find another Walter Rouse in the portal. If you can find another Walter Rouse in the portal, and you lose Guyton to the NFL, I'm I'm fine with that as a backstop. If you can find a sophomore who's really talented, who's looking for a change of pace that you get two, three years from, I'm fine with that as a portal addition. I just, I, the, the portal, the average portal one year guy is, the, is what we can't, oh, you can't keep doing, right? You can't, you know, you can't bring in someone who is struggling and isn't, you know, if you're going to bring in a guy, he needs to be someone who can compete at an all, all conference level, like Everett and Rouse. I think Caleb Schaefer may have that kind of potential, but it was hard to tell in spring with him playing tackle and, and just out of position and, and, and that. But I think those additions are the ones you want. And if Bill can do that and keep the PPO line group going, then that, that, that's fine. But I honestly did. I thought this was going to be a year we would not have the let's fire our O-line coach recruiting discussion on the message. <laughs> I really thought, you know, because I've been following you recruiting for like, 23 years on O-line and, you know, Mark Mangino, fire Mark Mangino, fire Kevin Wilson, um, fire Patton and, and, and Kittle, especially since we didn't even get his son, the old, the old pro tight end with the Niners, you know, and for, for some of it, Bill has avoided a little bit of it. The COVID year and the, the, the Riley years are just kind of a little bit of a mess and a blur. It's hard to, it's hard to know where the problem was, but I, if I'm Brent Venables, I, I got to ask myself, what, what do I need to get Bill to help him if I want to keep Bill as my offensive line coach? Or do I, need, do I just need to do something different at O-line recruiting and pray the guy is as good at development and putting O-lines, productive O-lines together? But it's, it's like, let, I, I'm really hoping next week we'll have a better discussion on the well, not next week, this we don't have any more line next week, but I'm hoping in a couple of weeks we're kind of having a good laugh over this conversation and, and moving on. But Matt, it is it is ugly on OU message boards. Um, every OU podcast before us recorded this week basically was, you know, it's like 
it's 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 like you know you're it's it's like you're hearing a funeral it's like a funeral pall every time everyone discusses o line recruiting it's just it's been crazy and i don't and honestly you heard, I, I i'm as guilty as anybody 30 days ago i thought we were cruising to a four or five player class that was going to be a great class for the future combine it with what we brought in last year and combine it with Everett Taylor and Sexton and that we're finally going to be off some of these merry-go-rounds and only only going for like the pulling a guy because an NFL entry, early entry happened of a player who we thought we could get another year from. But it's 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 a convoluted mess. And and adding into it, none of the OU sites, including us, has any real O-line insider information. They just don't. Well, and one thing that you mentioned earlier that we can't rectify yet is where are the other offers? I, I will say, I will say this, and the it's a compounding issue of like, you know, compounding risk, wherever you want to, wherever you want to define it, is how this cycle breaks out. You know, Oklahoma wrapped official visits was it last weekend, yeah, and then immediately the dead period begins. Where Oklahoma cannot have con- cannot initiate two, contact. Two months, two months of dead period. Basically, yeah. well, July and August are all. I mean, they can contact kids, Caleb. They can reach out. Well, I think they, only via they, like they, text or something. Yeah, but they, they, they exactly. cannot have it. You cannot. So no in person. No in person. Or a phone person. Bill cannot pick the phone up and they call, can call him. They can the, call him. Yeah, Bill has to basically get the high school coach, text him, and say, "I need," you know. Hey, can you have so and so text me or call me? And then they can have that conversation, you know. So it's not they're not it's not a good spot to be. And that's but they where can, I would they say can like, still make offers. They can still they make can. offers. They can still they extend can, they can, offers and but, but there but there's nothing going on. He's not following anyone new. And there's no I I couldn't even if you said Chris, who are the next okay, oh oh you I mean, same thing, Caleb. Other than Harrison Utley, oh you goes oh for twelve. Who are your next five offers? I don't have any names. I had some uh, I looked at the other night, but they're all they're. I'll be honest with you. The, the top kids I looked at are, are getting close to pulling triggers at other schools. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, you know, somebody sent me a, a walk on. Uh, sorry, a, a kid from Muskogee. Good looking kid, but he, he looks more like a preferred walk on. He's really raw. I mean, he's got some upside, but he's really raw. It, it, he's, you know, he's I think he's probably playing O-line for the, you know, I don't know. He's. He's a good-looking athlete, but he's he's really raw. He looks more like the preferred walk-on, and that would be a, he would be a great preferred walk-on. Let me say that. And I and I doubt some school is some G five school is going to offer this kid because of his wingspan and his size and his and he's and he, and he moves his feet well. So he's he's got all of the the raw tools. But that's the other thing. It's I mean it's 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 not like there's like five guys that you could just say, oh yeah, yeah we can we can double back to those guys. Which leaves kind of two two trains of thought there, right? One is, you know, hey, none of this is over. Guys like Bennett Warren, uh, you know, uh, easily, whether it's Poe, EPL, some of these guys, right? Or Bricks. Not right? Like, or Bricks. Got, and, and Bricks, well, apparently there's word that he won't make a decision until maybe even August, late July, August, it could be. But yeah, maybe was, get one of these two of these guys back on campus the end of July for the unofficial. Business. I was going to say kind of kind of two two trains of thought there. One being maybe you get you know they maybe they still feel really good about these guys and they're communicating with them daily and they think they can get them and that's a sign of hope. 
The other one is a really bad thing, and that would be they're complete. He's that lost on these kids. They've exhausted, you know, what their board was to this point, and it's borderline. You know, I think you said this right. It'd be like Jack- Jackie Ship esque, and that's a scary thing because there was a point in time from maybe 2001, 2002 to about 2008 that Jackie Ship was the best defensive tackle coach in the country and one of the best recruiters because it was yeah. Tommy Harris, it was Demarcus Granger, it was Dusty, it was GK, it was Adrian Taylor, and then that fell off a cliff. Yeah, he stopped doing his job. I mean, and we stopped getting defense. Defense. I mean, we got Jamarcus McFarland, and then I after that, was, I think he was burned out. And then, and he, so yeah. So the question is, and if you're Brent, you got to be wondering if he go if he does the offer, you know. Okay, what's my process that let this happen? I mean, how did I at least not make it over eight, not over over thirteen, and not waste three or four, you know, you know, three or four offers? Um, but it's it's bizarre. It's Matt. We we have officially killed this topic, and and we could still go around. Matt, Caleb, and I could go around around another thirty minutes, trying to talk ourselves into both hope and gloom. On this topic, is well, we've done it all. We've of, done it all day. We've done it all day. Of, a piece of late. We have. I, I think I sent the message to our mod group. Was it last night? Maybe. Yeah. What I just did, I did. I went online and I ran through basically all the news coming out and all these kids from whatever source. And it was, gosh, you know, Warren doesn't. It looks like A and M or Tennessee. You know, and you look at, uh, you know, easily it looks like Georgia. Oh, it looks like Alabama. There's people that think that you know. Uh, Eddie Pierre Louise, that the OU visit did not move the needle enough. He'll end up staying close to home and going to UCF. And you, you know, Massey is going to Kansas State. That has happened. And Bricks suddenly kind of wants to stay closer to home. And today somebody put in a, a prediction to Nebraska for him. So you start going like, oh my God, <laughs> they lose all those guys. Then you go down the list of anybody else that's available. They're all lined up, it looks like, uh, or already committed. Uh, but if you're looking for a you know, it's not offensive line related, but Texas Tech, former Texas Tech commit Ivan Carrion, the uh, big wide receiver, potential tight end type looking kid. That oh, I don't see offered. tight end on this film, but that's all right. No, I mean, tight end to the, to the extent that Mark Andrews played tight end at OU. I mean, he was in line all of like three times, right? It was okay. always right. split. He was all always right. split wide. Uh, He's committed, he's decommitted rather from Texas AM. They've parted ways. And some people in the Oklahoma world think that he'll be a sooner. Uh, I don't know. What do you think there? Because do you want size with carry on or do you want speed with, you know, a Bussy or Reagans? Well, I'll tell you what, let's let's put a let's put a pin in that. Okay. And and go to our next, our final, our final game show contest here. So Matt, we're going to drag you into this, uh, drag you back into this, uh, into this debate. So I had to make a class prediction this week or get it ready for, for Matt to publish it on Saturday. And to, to say it was difficult was, would, be, would be an understatement. The O-line group is just a complete swag. I, whatever. All right. But I, I, I gave you guys both that 25-player class. Now, Caleb, you're... You have predicted right. It looks like the NCA is about to do away with any class cap limits and just make programs stick to the 85 cap, right? 
So you can oversign. You just have to be at 25. Yeah, sorry, have to be at 85 in August. All right. So I gave you guys both my 25-player class preview. Let's presume, oh, you can sign 27 kids, right? They've got like 25 seniors. Let's say two portal, two play, two players go to the portal. We already saw Aaron Parks do that. And let's say at least two guys leave the NFL early. Okay. So you can go up to 27 players in this class. I've given you 25 guys to work from. And you can choose anybody as long as they're like a legit player. If you if you if you want to tell me someone's gonna flip, just give me the reason why you think they flip. If they're someone who you think, oh, you can get on them, just give me a little bit of a defense why, okay? And we'll all go through this process. So, Matt, you've got 25-player class I've, I sent you. We're not going to give away all the names because it's going to be on that side to see my prediction. But, Matt, you've got the list there. You know, and some of the names will be obvious by the names that Caleb and he's got on page. But, you know, it's, it's, it's um, you've got the guys. I've, I've given you a list of 25 players that are locked in with OU. This fall, I'm telling you, you got, you've, got a, you've got another slot. I'm saying, I'm going back to you, where do you, who do, would you add to the class I've given you? And, and tell me why. Well, since I've got the first pick. And yeah, let's just, we can repeat, we can repeat picks here, guys. Because just tell me, just tell me why. Okay. Just tell me why. Well, maybe, maybe uh, I'll piggyback on this offensive line talk and debate. And say, you know, it gets into uh, September, October, November. It's closer and closer to signing day. You know, maybe USC falters a little bit this year, and you can get back in the race for Jason Zandamella. I'm I'm going after him to be an anchor inside on this offensive line class that right now is looking like could be weaker than we expected. So I'm yeah, going to go. It may not be what I may, may not be what I predicted most definitely. So, okay. Right. So I'm going Zander Mel. Caleb, who would you take? Uh, this is going to be an odd one. Maybe I, I would take Liam Andrews, the uh, Massachusetts defensive tackle slash offensive tackle. And I'd bring him in and bring him in and just say, play wherever you want. Yeah, I mean, tell me what team ever said, you know, we have too much up. We have too many impact defensive tackles or we have too many really good offensive tackles. And so (laughs) So to have a guy, have a guy that can do both. It's like, okay, yeah. I mean, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the, I think he was from Wyoming or Idaho, Taven Bryan years ago, uh, that Oklahoma recruited as an offensive lineman. And he said, no, I want to play defensive line. And everybody, Josh, that scooped, uh, if it was Bill at that time, or if it was Pat, and said, no, no, we want you to offensive tackle. Well, he just was all SEC defensive tackle and drafted in the first round with Jaguars and still playing in the NFL. You know, I'm not saying Andrews is going to be that because maybe he does slide over to offensive tackle and you have a starter. But if those are the two options, like, give me either and I'm happy. Okay. Um, if I've got the 25 guys I've listed, the number one guy I would take would be Terry Bussey. I would say, if you can, is Terry Bussey seems to be, he's visited A&M and, U, and UT now. It looks like OU's in even batting territory there. And I, I, I go Terry Bussey because I think other than, um, I, I, I think you put him at wide receiver and he, he's, he makes plays for days. And I just, I can't. And 
and then the downside of that is that you then move into cornerback and he makes plays for days. So it's just, it's the, it's the end number one impact guy. I think you could add to the class. Yeah. I think for, for my second guy, so my, you know, 27th, yep. I think I'm going to agree with you. Um, he, well, I was, I was thinking between him and Kobe black, but honestly, I mean, Kobe black would obviously be a fantastic ad. A five-star corner going into the sec would be great. I just don't see us getting Kobe Black. So I no, not with that like a like a twelve and zero season, and we're just unicorns yeah. are falling from the skies, and and everything else is going beautifully. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I think I think I'll I'll, I'll go with Bussy as well. You know, he's dynamic. Um, again, we're going to the SEC. You need a dynamic uh, offense. You need a guy like him to get that speed on the field. Um, yeah, I think uh, Zandamel and Bussy would be by 26 and 27. I, I really want to say Bussy as well. Uh, that's what I was going to go as my first, just for the sake of being different and for a content perspective. I, I would say Aaron Flowers, uh, out of Forney, the, the safety, yeah, okay. the safety. And, yeah, you know, and the reason there is, I, I'm going to assume in, in this world, right? Well, it's looking. I'll make sure I have this right, but and you might have Oklahoma landing, uh, yeah, Denson, uh, you know, the Slim Reaper. I think, and there is talk that he could play corner. That they think, hey, yeah, he could be you a know, corner. He, he could play. Corner. He could play corner for you. And if he does, uh, I know Jaden Hardy isn't small, but he's not the biggest kid. And Michael Patterson definitely is not. He actually might be more of a nickel he's you know he plays safety he's got really good ball skills i i think flowers could be a kid that you know it's again so you, know, you think they they flip the oregon flipping from oregon <sighs> tell me if i'm wrong I, I think even when he committed i think they've stayed in contact with him they have and, they're working yeah. him really hard so i think yeah i definitely a, think yeah, hey if a, bricks if bricks decides that hey if oh flip uh uh peyton bowen from oregon and notre dame or oregon Right, uh, <laughs> they can take and flip flowers. All right, I'm I'm going to mirror Matt and I are obviously on the same sort of twin brain links here because I'm going to go all out and we know Lincoln Riley can't hold commits, right? We 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 sadly have absorbed that PTSD, right? So I'm I'm going to go with Zendamella that that they work Zendamella, keep working Zendamella, you know. Somehow get him on campus for another unofficial, you know, send him every tape of Creed Humphrey that they could find and just say, look, you know, this is where you need to be. And maybe, hopefully, um, maybe USC doesn't have like the, the great season everybody thinks. They got, a, they got a much tougher schedule this year, playing on a much better representative uh, schedule from the Pac-12. So I, I, think that's, I think that's a chance. I'll go with Zendamella because I think, again, if you could, if you could pick up, um, you could pick up another offensive lineman, and and just little. I, I projected four O line for these guys. These guys are working off a four O line class. Uh, if you could pick up Zendamel, I think that would be a a huge addition uh, as well. Um, you know, I, I thought about I thought about Peyton Pierce, but I just don't think OU needs that much linebacker depth. And if they can't get Samaj Jones, guys, I'm not sure they're going to be able to get a second prep high school quarterback. Yeah, I think that'll be tough to pull off. 
I, you, you mentioned the linebacker. Um, I mean, our, our depth chart, if you see our notes uh, from today that we posted, it seems pretty good, and all those guys are pretty young. So I, I agree yeah, with I mean, you there, unless I don't think it's that necessary. Unless you're bringing in somebody, you, you know, you've got Nest as like a development guy, right? Presuming he doesn't just get drafted by the Major League Baseball, like Caleb Pearson is probably right. Um, no, there, there's, there's the reason why. You know, so let's just, but we're presuming for now he enrolls and, and plays some role in OU football at some point. Uh, you've got to have a linebacker who can push Car- <clears throat> Carter, Omosigo, McKenzie, and Canick, right? You can't just bring in another dev guy because there's no, you can re-sign, you can sign two, three linebackers next year to give some space between the classes. But it's got to be somebody who's got some, got the ability to push those guys in. Those guys you just said, though, that you, you rattled off, Oklahoma's gotten a lot more athletic at linebacker than they were. A lot more. A lot more athletic. <laughs> with, with, with guys, I mean, just, just, you know, Kobe McKenzie looks like a million bucks in his jersey photo. Well, and everything and we've got, his right, body, is, right? Change and, his body, right? And some of the the rumor, whatever you want it is, of, of Sammy. And I, I want to say this, and anybody, whatever. Yeah, you know, like I hop on the bandwagon. I built that thing and was telling everybody, like, look, it, it's pretty obvious. The almost the almost Sego wagon is is has Caleb Cubbings. I love Caleb Cubbings bumper stickers all over it. Hey, yep. I mean, I, I'm the guy on that one. Uh, everybody, and I do. I love Lewis Carter. I think as equally as high uh, of Sammy. And so, uh, yeah, hearing, hearing those two guys are, are doing what they're doing. And then, you know, you've got Jaron Canick and, you know, if, uh, if and Kobe looks like a million bucks and, oh, he, he, does. and he, and he looks so much better in spring he's redistributed his weight. He's not top heavy any longer. Yep. And he, he looks, he looks like he looks, he looks like a six, two Curtis Lofton. I'm like, Oh, okay. Wow. I'll take that. Yep. Um, and you know, and then, and then, you know, Someone send Kip Lewis uh, a power bar, right? Uh, send him a box of power bars or um, a Whataburger or, gift card. Or, or my wife makes a fantastic chocolate cinnamon bread pudding. That You can add 10 pounds just looking at that. Damn I'm thing. telling you, it's really just, just <laughs> ste- steak and potato. Just pound it nonstop. <laughs> and he looked, I mean, because he looked great in spring. He, he, he looked great out of high school. It's like, you know, it's. At, you know, ten he's ten pounds away from being, and then from from pushing his way on the field. So, yeah, the linebacker position. You know, I I, you know, I'd love to steal Peyton Pierce from Ohio State. You know, you know, you know my affinity for the, the Buckeyes, and their overall pain in the assness in recruiting. So, uh, you know, I'd love to think that Nigel Smith sticks with OU and maybe, you know, brings Peyton up for a game and. He's around all his relatives, but um, I'm like, do, do I do I need Peyton Pierce if if the other if the other unnamed linebacker uh, chooses OU that you guys know about that we, we haven't mentioned? So you guys can probably guess that name uh, who who's on my 25 list. But you know, I mean, so one interesting question is, and I'll give this away: is uh, I didn't have Caden Durham on that 25. And none of us chose him. If I go 28, it's Caden Durham in a heartbeat. Do you guys agree? If I gave you another slot, is Caden Durham the next guy you choose? Uh, yeah, probably. 
you know, scrolling through the list of the top 150 guys, I mean, there's not really many other guys that OU's really in on that jumped out. And um, I gave you a good, I gave you a good D line group. So you're, yes, you're I, I, some hopium on the D line group. So this, you know, other than Caleb love affair with Liam Andrews, which I completely understand, you know, to, to Caleb, would, would, would you go with the, if you had a third pick of a 28 player high school class, would Caden Durham be your 28th guy? Yeah, he probably would. And I, I would say some, some reason I assumed he was on there. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think Durham is, you know, I think there's a little bit for me, like a, a question of he's so interested in track. How focused is he going to be on football? You know, but with that type of a class, I kind of think it doesn't matter because even if he's just a gadget player, because again, he's like, Hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get to 205 because I want to keep my weight down so that I'm, you know, better in track and I'm going to miss a lot of spring ball because I'm trying to compete, uh, you know, to win track, uh, you know, yeah, track. Okay. He'll come out and we'll give you, uh, you know, we'll give you the ball three or four times from the backfield. We'll put you in a slot and we'll throw the ball to you two or three times and we'll reverses to, and arounds. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll put you, know, you back to return get, kicks. Get, get sweeps. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's interesting with both Tatum and Durham that, you know, both of those guys are probably going to be uh, not only enrollees because they want to play the spring sports at their high school to finish out their senior years. Right. And I, I guess I assume, I, I assume that uh, Tatum could not, come to Oklahoma and play baseball, given that he's a football scholarship athlete, you have to wait like a full year or something, right? Yeah, I don't think he would. I don't think he's even. Yeah, I don't think there's any way to make that work where he could enroll early and start playing. Baseball. I've never heard of never heard of anyone doing that before. Of all the rules, like they're changing rules left and right. It's like, hey, they you, can are, transfer, they you can transfer 45 times. You can, this, you can this, this lawyer you can, from Miami can give you $50 million. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Right. And you can practice. Matter. You can practice with your team, right? You can enroll yeah. early and practice yeah. full practice. How are they still in a world where, like, legitimate players like Nesta and Tatum, you tell them, "Hey, I get it. You're a great baseball player, and you love that sport, and you want to play it." No, I'm not going to allow you. Like, what? I mean, that makes no sense at all. It's a uh, weird. It's got to be something with scholarship limits in baseball, right? I mean, not every player yeah. on baseball yeah, has a scholarship. Yeah, it's they would be football scholarship guys. They would be on football scholarship just playing. Baseball. Yeah, but I, yeah, it's yeah. There's something weird about the baseball scholarships being so low and being partial scholarships and how you build a team with that. I guess they don't want some somebody manipulating that and adding three full scholarships via football. But it's you're right. It's an odd rule. There's some oddness there. But the the main thing is, I don't think Tatum or Durham will enroll early. And that would put them behind Hicks, Mothers, Sawchuck, and Barnes for the fall of 24. And as good as I think both of those guys could be, I think that's, a, that's kind of a tall hill to climb. So it's sort of 25 is sort of there, maybe their coming out party. So we have like a year to figure out what the, what their, what the second sport impact will be on. I just think it's not fair to those kids in particular. I, I can understand maybe you would say, hey, it's a competitive advantage for this college baseball team that they're able to get players of this. You know, realistically, though, how much are either of those kids going to play? It's more of a benefit for them long term in baseball than it is an impact to that college baseball team season. Yeah. The weird thing, obviously, though, Caleb, 
is if they did enroll early and play that spring, they wouldn't then be draftable. Uh, that's true. Hey, it's a, it's a, what's up? We talk about that's a positive for Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> with I, I, I'm, with, I'm with you. I'm with you. Right? It keeps them in college for three years. So, but I think as a, I think, I think Tatum and Nesta, if they have, they might they might view. Um, not being able to go through the draft at all is, is something of a negative. I can well, see that. But I, but I, but I, like, I like the way you're thinking. Hey, <laughs> come to OU early. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't be drafted any longer. Oops. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the way you're thinking there. But that's – and actually, I don't think – I never heard of a player who enrolled early for football and got drafted in another sport. I've never heard that story before, so – I don't even know if they would be draft eligible. Hmm, that's yeah. a good question. I think they would be draft eligible for baseball, and they could make a decision, right? I guess I've never. I've just never. It's never come. No one's. You know, we're in. We're in. We're in the international dateline. You cross the international dateline twice in twenty minutes. What day of the week are you in? Kind of, kind of, kind of questions. You know, um, but yeah, it's. It, it's odd. It's going to be interesting to see how that breaks out. Uh, Matt will have that uh, prediction published uh, on Saturday for our subscribers to take a look at and bash and tell me how stupid I'm being and how optimistic I'm being. So I'm expecting some of that. Um, and I drop some names. Some guys will be like, well, where's this name? I just didn't pick him. So uh, we'll see how that'll, that'll shakes out. Um, but Matt, I think, uh, We've we've kept this as upbeat, uh, more upbeat than I think our, our counterparts have um, in terms of the O line mess we're in. But it's we we will promise not to just rehash this next week. We, hey, won't, I, I, we won't rehash this next week. I did have to say while we were sitting here at the very end of this, I went and I watched that Wesley Harvey, the uh, tackle from Muskogee. I watched his junior film. He's really interesting. He he's, is, but he's. I, I think he's. His, I, his, his, senior, his I senior year film. That's his senior year film. Like, if he makes a big senior year jump, you're gonna be like, "Ooh, how do we miss See, that guy?" That guy's the kind of kid you wonder, like, what's he doing this offseason? Is he, yeah. you know, hanging out, or is he got a guy like you know, you know, ex Sooner Jr. Yes, Conrad is a high school office high school offensive line coach in the state of Oklahoma. We need, we need, and, we need to send Barry on a on a secret. Intel mission and because you know who he looks. looks. You know physically, I, I, it's interesting when you look at him physically. And you, I don't know if you remember. Uh, I think he may have come out of high school the same time like Trent did. Uh, maybe same time Corey Brandon, but Russell Ukong at yeah, Fort yeah, Bend, yeah, yeah, Richmond, yeah. Richmond, Fort Bend. These they physically the way they look and kind of the way they move really similar. And Russell was a guy that slid under slid under the radar, right? Oh, he was, yeah, he was, I think he was, a like he signed in like February, like under the radar completely. He was 6'6", 250, two, yeah, he's really light, but I mean, you know, Oklahoma State has got an amazing strength conditioning program. They got that kid in there, got that, he well, that was, that was when their, their, who was their O-line coach? Was just like making, making great run clap, great O-lines out of like nothing. And then he went to Texas yeah. and he danked to Joe. Oh, yeah. He put together great O line classes, and then like I forgot about him. He went to Texas, and then like Texas, is like you, you suck. We're getting rid of you, like firing you. It's uh, Joe. Ah, I can't pull the name, but he. But every year, I'd be like, why is Oklahoma State got a good O line? I'm like, Nick I line. don't know. That's right. 
It's like, why do they have a good O-line class? This guy just, just literally takes nothing and puts together a good O-line. It's, it's baffling how he's doing it. Because the guys rolled two, three stars. Like, like nothing. Yeah. O'Kong was, a, I'm looking at his profile, he was a no-star. He was listed at 6'5", 250. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, later on, they gave him a composite of a three-star. But, yeah. That's I mean, the was, only thing I would, last thing I would say, last comment, Matt, on the O-line gloom. Let's say OU goes the big donut and Bill puts together Utley, Wesley, Harvey, and some other guy he finds. You know, and everyone's like, oh, this O-line won't be able to compete in the SEC. I'm like, you know, just wait. O-line guys are just, the recruiting rankings and O-line guys are just, it's the worst evaluation. It's the worst success it's the hardest and it's the worst success rate. And I mean, just look at Tyler Guyton. Let's and let's say he does have the great team you were talking about. The guy's a defensive tackle in high school, doesn't have like any really legit offers. TCU offers and signs him late. Uh, he looked pretty good at D tackle. I don't understand why he was flying under the radar. Plays like big tight end for TCU, then goes in the portal, and now Bill plucks him and says, Oh, yeah. It's a top 10 NFL draft pick there. And it just, it, he's, he's just literally nowhere. It's like not, not quite the Lane Johnson story, but it's, it's pretty damn close in terms of, you know, I mean, he's, I mean, he's unranked. You know, it's just, just crazy. It, it's the O line because you don't never, you never see this. JJ Watt is like the only D line guy that you sort of see the same way. I mean, even Aaron Donald was like a four star. He was, he was a four star coming out of high school. But so I mean, what you're saying is Bill's going to have to pull a Joe Wick line out of this class, possibly. I don't know. Maybe it's develop, develop, develop. Well, and let's portal, yeah. portal, portal. Well, I don't know about I don't know about portal, portal, portal. I think offensive tackle portal, but I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing how you know Sexton, Taylor, Everett, Bird don't give you like four fifths of your offensive line down the road. Yeah, I, I think and, and that's not, and Hayden Green is also out there. And I think a redshirt season, Logan Howland and and uh, Bates are going to be right there in terms of providing dads. Yeah, to me, it's it's one of those deals, right? It's not so much about it's not about 2023 and it's not even that much about 2024. It's, it's 25. Just, it's 25. It's you got to have guys. You got yeah, to have guys. Because I agree. I, you know, I, I do agree. I think word on on. Jake Sexton is, he's really ahead of schedule yeah. physically. And they think that, you know, he'll be cleared early. I, my hope would be that he redshirts, only plays four games and maybe the last four, whatever it is, just to make sure he's totally good. Uh, you know, and, and reset his clock a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, you know, and, and not, uh, not being a junior and not having played any. Exactly. All right, speaking of resetting the clock, we did go a little longer on this episode, guys. Uh, sorry for our listeners. Uh, I think we're about an hour and 45 in. Not not too big of a deal, but when you're talking about offensive line and Caleb's involved and Chris is involved, it's, we it's going to go We could have gone for three hours, literally. <laughs> we could have. Well, if you want more talk on that, head over to Sooners360.com. Uh, there's definitely a lot of lengthy discussion on offensive line. A lot of good points being brought up by everybody. Every time we discuss this, I go back and forth on, on beat and ball. So uh, it's definitely a discussion worth happening. So head on over to the board. Uh, check that out. 
One last reminder, subscribe to the show on your favorite platform of choice, Spotify, Stitcher, et cetera. And also one last point, uh, head over to Sooner360 this weekend to see Chris's class prediction that we kind of teased tonight. So go check that out and we will see everybody around the water. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.